Welcome to Word and a Weapon Podcast. Biblically guided safety and security tips, techniques, and tactics for everyday Christian warriors. With your host, Guy Beveridge, CEO of Protectors Toolkit, Christian safety and security made simple. Now here's your host, Guy Beveridge. What's up, Warriors? Guy Beveridge from Protectors Toolkit. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of the podcast, Word and a Weapon, where I give you a little bit of biblical teaching, the Word, and then I give you a weapon, something you can take with you, something you can put in your toolbox or on your tool belt to help you in your everyday walk as a Christian. So let's get into it here with the Word. Now, depending on when you're listening to this, I think I need to preface this and just tell you that I'm recording this before voting happens. And it's been on my heart, and it was a message that came from my pastor kind of just solidified that I need to talk a little bit about this. It's not going to get overly political, uh, but I think you do need to know that if you're listening to this after the election has happened. Um, so let's get into the word today. According to the My Faith Votes website, 90 million Christians in America are eligible to vote. But as many as 40 million fail to vote in presidential election cycles. Why are our voices so silent? Why do we not speak up? Can you imagine if every Christian in the United States spoke up and voted our Christian values? What this world would look like. What our nation would look like. 15 million of those 90 million are not even registered to vote. So please, folks, get out there, register to vote, and go do your civic duty. But I want to talk a little bit today about time. Uh, and, and tell you that, that, that it is time. It's time for us uh, as Christians to stop being marginalized and pushed back, pushed around. It's time for us to stop being silenced and disregarded. Like I said, if we all got together and I made our voices loud and clear, there's not much we couldn't accomplish in this nation, on this earth. You know, God has told us time and time again, my friends, not to be stupid. It's in the Bible. It's probably in the message translation of the Bible, but it's in there. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But let's listen to this, what it says right here in, the, in uh, Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. So what he's saying here in Hosea 4, 6 is not, it's not a, a lack of praying um, that we're being destroyed. It's not a lack of bending our knee. It's not a lack of turning our face towards God and listening to the to the still quiet voice. It's not a lack of prayer. It's not a lack of giving. It's not a lack of worship uh, or or serving in, in any regard in, or attending our church. When things aren't going the way we think they should be as a Christian, we think that means I need to pray more. I know I've been guilty of that myself. Or I need to serve more. I need to do more. I need to be more active in my church. But that's not how God wants us to be with Him. I don't have a relationship with God because of the things I do. I have a relationship with Him because of who He is. So I want you to focus on two words in that passage, destroyed and knowledge. Destroyed comes from the Hebrew to be dumb. It has nothing to do with how smart you are, how wise you are. It means you can't speak or you're silent uh, to not speak, uh, to fail or perish, be brought to silence. In other words, you can speak, but you're choosing or making a choice or you've been brought to silence for one reason or another. And in there also knowledge from Hebrew, Hebrew uh, it's a perception or a discernment. It's an understanding or wisdom uh, to discern and recognize something. So, Understanding this, let's convert this to today's way of thinking, today's 
message in our own language, uh, the guy beverage version, if you will, based on what we're currently living in, the days and times that we're currently seeing. And I would say a 4-6 in the guy beverage version would be something like this. My people are failing because they have been brought to silence. We can speak, we just don't speak from or because of a lack of discernment and an ability to recognize, understand, and see with our spiritual eyes the season and time that we're currently living in. That's I make no bones about it, friends. We are not being destroyed because we don't pray. We're not being destroyed because we don't serve. It's because we are silent. We are the silent majority, if you are comfortable with that term, and we do not speak up and use our voices. So as Christians, we're choosing to allow ourselves to be marginalized and pushed back in silence because of our lack of knowledge um, and our unwillingness to speak up. We have to guard against falling into this into the devil's trap here and stop uh, and 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 stop being called uh, stop being the leaders we're called to be just because we're getting resistance from the world. We need to make sure we're using the gifts and the talents that He God gave us to combat evil and unrighteousness, and part of that is speaking up. You know. The way to think of it is this, our treasures, the things that we have, our abilities, our gifts, and our talents are a trust given to us from God. Uh, and we're supposed to give him a return on his investment in us, the things that he gave us. Our time, our ability to speak up is also a trust from God. And we're supposed to give return on investment in that. Our talents and abilities, all of that is a trust from God. As Christians, we have to guard against falling into the devil's trap. And start being the world changers we're called to be. We have the power and authority to be a world changer. So why aren't we? Why are we still silent? We have to make sure we're using the gifts and talents he gave us. Our treasure is supposed to be a return to God on his investment in us. Listen to what the Bible tells us about talents. In Matthew twenty-five fourteen through 19, it says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents, doubling his profits. And likewise he had received uh, two talents, gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, in this passage, a talent is obviously a form of currency back in those days, something value, monetary value based on the type of metal that was used in those days. Now, listen to the first two servants. They took what their master gave them. They got busy and doubled what was given to them. But the one talent servant, the one talent man, decided to hide his talent and do absolutely nothing. He didn't lose the money by doing something sinful or giving it away, but he also didn't do any good with it either. So when the master came back, he was very pleased with the first two servants and the good they had accomplished. But notice what the text or what the Bible says about the one talent man here in Matthew 25, 24 through 30. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. 
But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I I firmly believe, everybody listening to this podcast, my Christian brothers and sisters out there, that we are all five-talent men and women in the eyes of God. If you're listening to this podcast and choosing to sharpen yourselves, that tells me you look for ways to improve or enrich your lives. It tells me you have initiative, you take initiative in the outcomes of your life. So why then do we sometimes live and act like the one-talent man? People that act like the one-talent servant don't really do anything wrong, per se, but then again, they don't really do anything at all. We can no longer be mere spectators sitting on the sidelines instead of actively participating in the work of the Lord. If good wins, they join in the celebration even though we did nothing to produce the victory. However, if evil wins, then we'll complain long and loud even though our own apathy produced the undesirable result. So we have to be careful, my friends, that we're not like the one-talent men. We are five-talent men and women, and we are to give God back a good return on that investment in us. Because if we're not growing and do good works, when Jesus comes again, our excuses are not going to work. And he's going to tell us the same thing the master did to the one-talent man, you wicked and lazy servant. And if we don't want this to happen to us, then we have to strive to be profitable servants always. So as I said at the beginning, it is time that we engage our culture. It's time to become relevant to an unbelieving culture around us. It's time we become salt and light. It's time to stand up, to speak up. It's time to stand on the wall. It's time to use our talents. It's time to give God a good return on investment. It's time to watch for the roaring lions. It's time to protect what God has given. And it is our moment in time right now. Edmund Burke famously said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil or for Satan's agenda to be released and executed is for Christian men and women, pastors, preachers, and churches to do nothing and say nothing with their talents. So thanks for listening to the word. I hope that blesses you. So let's get into the weapon side of this. Just something as a Christian you can take in your daily walk here to have in your tool belt or in your toolbox. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the cost of something? There's a lot of different things that we pay for. We pay for food, we pay for housing, we pay for electricity. Everything has a cost associated. But what the cost I'm talking about right now, in the, in the times that we're currently living, we have to ask ourselves, what is the cost of what we want to do and where we want to go? If you're paying attention to the television and news outlets out there, you can see that major cities are being burned to the ground. There's rioting and looting in these peaceful protests that are happening almost daily. So we calculate. It's a calculus of risk that we have to have about ourselves. It's about doing the math when it's worthwhile to go somewhere, to leave your house, to leave your secured space, to do something. Those calculations are choices such as do I bring a weapon or a firearm for self-defense or not? Within ourselves, friends, we have to conduct a risk assessment of the location and venue we want to go to, while we factor in also the capability and ability we will take with us. Now, I'll give you some locations, venues, and events will require higher capabilities and abilities. You are the only one who can put a number or a weight on them. You take the frequency of occurrence, the thing that could possibly happen to you using all available data, in your geographic area and the place that you want to go, plus the impact of occurrence if it were to happen, and that will equal your risk. I'll say that one more time. The frequency of occurrence, could it happen 
in the area that you're going to, how often does it happen based on historical data, plus the impact of occurrence if it were to happen, if something bad were to happen, that equals your risk. One of the greatest factors we sometimes fail, though, to accurately measure is ourselves. Now, I know I'm saying something now. I know I'm preaching. I got my own amens if I need them. That was a big gut punch of reality right there, I'm sure. But sadly, it's true. No one knows you better than you. It does take brutal honesty to measure ourselves, especially when we're trying to measure how effective we are or maybe aren't with any particular self-defense strategy or tool. You are the only one who can be certain that you not only have the skills, but that you have the determination, fortitude, grit, and ability to employ them effectively, judiciously, and accurately if they should become necessary. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I have to take a really deep look and make sure I'm not overestimating myself, or could I even possibly be underestimating myself, and that maybe prevents me from going somewhere. This is where true, ultimate humility has to factor in. One of the ways we can do this is through training with good instructors who are able to constructively challenge your assumptions. This puts up a mirror like no other in front of you to find out if you can truly be responsive in a crisis. As does spending some time really thinking through what worst case scenarios look like and confronting all the fears you might have about what you can and will do. You can practice the standards every day and have a pretty good idea of whether you have the raw ability to access and employ your firearm, use a less lethal option like pepper spray or baton, defend yourself with fists, drive aggressively to get out of danger, and more. You can test yourself to see if you can do these things under stress. You can get the help in deciding how effective those skills and tools are for different situations. But in the end, my friends, you are the ultimate agent in charge of your own protection detail. You're the one who has to decide if you can actually make those things actionable if the time comes. Nobody else can do that for you. Nobody else can take that accurate measurement. More importantly, nobody knows better than you how important it is for you to go to a place or do a thing. The value you place on your life, employment, on your leisure activities, on that trip you want to take, that's all on you. Your job may be in a terrible, unsafe location, but if it's your dream job working for a dream employer, you're going to go. Or maybe you have the opportunity to go on a trip of a lifetime to see uh, a whole bucket list of destinations you've always wanted to see, but they're all in places where you can't bring anything that might even be close to a weapon. Do you still go? You should always strive to measure yourself and your destinations. Prioritize yourself and your safety. Prioritize the safety and security of those that you are traveling with. We have to be absolutely intentional in our everyday safety and security because at least one person depends on it. And that's you, my friends. Be well, be safe, be blessed. Thanks for listening to Word and a Weapon. From Protector's Toolkit, welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of the podcast Word and a Weapon, where I give you a little bit of biblical teaching, the Word, and then I give you a weapon, something you can take with you, something you can put in your toolbox or on your tool belt to help you in your everyday walk as a Christian. So let's get into it here with the word. 
Now, depending on when you're listening to this, I think I need to preface this and just tell you that I'm recording this before voting happens. And it's been on my heart, and it was a message that came from my pastor kind of just solidified that I need to talk a little bit about this. It's not going to get overly political, uh, but I think you do need to know that if you're listening to this after the election has happened. Um, so let's get into the word today. According to the My Faith Votes website, 90 million Christians in America are eligible to vote. But as many as 40 million fail to vote in presidential election cycles. Why are our voices so silent? Why do we not speak up? Can you imagine if every Christian in the United States spoke up and voted our Christian values? What this world would look like, what our nation would look like. 15 million of those 90 million are not even registered to vote. So please, folks, get out there, register to vote, and go do your civic duty. But I want to talk a little bit today about time. Uh, and, and tell you that, that, that it is time. It's time for us uh, as Christians to stop being marginalized and pushed back, pushed around. It's time for us to stop being silenced and disregarded. Like I said, if we all got together and I made our voices loud and clear, there's not much we couldn't accomplish in this nation, on this earth. You know, God has told us time and time again, my friends, not to be stupid. It's in the Bible. It's probably in the message translation of the Bible, but it's in there. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But let's listen to this, what it says right here in, the, in uh, Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. So what he's saying here in Hosea 4, 6 is not, it's not a, a lack of praying um, that we're being destroyed. It's not a lack of bending our knee. It's not a lack of turning our face towards God and listening to the to the still quiet voice. It's not a lack of prayer. It's not a lack of giving. It's not a lack of worship uh, or or serving in, in any regard in, or attending our church. When things aren't going the way we think they should be as a Christian, we think that means I need to pray more. I know I've been guilty of that myself. Or I need to serve more. I need to do more. I need to be more active in my church. But that's not how God wants us to be with Him. I don't have a relationship with God because of the things I do. I have a relationship with Him because of who He is. So I want you to focus on two words in that passage, destroyed and knowledge. Destroy comes from the Hebrew to be dumb. It has nothing to do with how smart you are, how wise you are. It means you can't speak or you're silent uh, to not speak, uh, to fail or perish, be brought to silence. In other words, you can speak, but you're choosing or making a choice or you've been brought to silence for one reason or another. And in there also knowledge from Hebrew, Hebrew uh, it's a perception or a discernment. It's an understanding or wisdom uh, to discern and recognize something. So, Understanding this, let's convert this to today's way of thinking, today's uh, message in our own language, uh, the guy beverage version, if you will, based on what we're currently living in, the days and times that we're currently seeing. And Hosea 4, 6 in the guy beverage version would be something like this. My people are failing because they have been brought to silence. We can speak, we just don't speak from or because of a lack of discernment and an ability to recognize, understand, and see with our spiritual eyes the season and time that we're currently living in. That's, I make no bones about it, friends. We are not being destroyed because we don't pray. We're not being destroyed because we don't serve. It's because we are silent. We are the silent majority, if you are comfortable with that term, and we do not speak up and use our voices. So as Christians, we're choosing to allow ourselves to be marginalized and pushed back in silence because of our lack of knowledge 
um, and our unwillingness to speak up. We have to guard against falling into this into the devil's trap here and stop uh, and 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 stop being called uh, stop being the leaders we're called to be just because we're getting resistance from the world. We need to make sure we're using the gifts and the talents that He God gave us to combat evil and unrighteousness, and part of that is speaking up. You know. The way to think of it is this, our treasures, the things that we have, our abilities, our gifts, and our talents are a trust given to us from God. Uh, and we're supposed to give him a return on his investment in us, the things that he gave us. Our time, our ability to speak up is also a trust from God. And we're supposed to give return on investment in that. Our talents and abilities, all of that is a trust from God. As Christians, we have to guard against falling into the devil's trap. And start being the world changers we're called to be. We have the power and authority to be a world changer. So why aren't we? Why are we still silent? We have to make sure we're using the gifts and talents he gave us. Our treasure is supposed to be a return to God on his investment in us. Listen to what the Bible tells us about talents. In Matthew 25, 14 through 19, it says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents, doubling his profits. And likewise he had received uh, two talents, gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now in this passage, a talent is obviously a form of currency back in those days, something value, monetary value based on the type of metal that was used in those days. Now listen to the first two servants. They took what their master gave them. They got busy and doubled what was given to them. But the one talent servant, the one talent man decided to hide his talent and do absolutely nothing. He didn't lose the money by doing something sinful or giving it away, but he also didn't do any good with it either. So when the master came back, he was very pleased with the first two servants and the good they had accomplished. But notice what the text or what the Bible says about the one talent man here in Matthew 25, 24 through 30. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I, for, I firmly believe, everybody listening to this podcast, my Christian brothers and sisters out there, that we are all five-talent men and women in the eyes of God. If you're listening to this podcast and choosing to sharpen yourselves, that tells me you look for ways to improve or enrich your lives. It tells me you have initiative, you take initiative in the outcomes of your life. So why then do we sometimes live and act like the one-talent man? People that act like the one-talent servant don't really do anything wrong per se, but then again, they don't really do anything at all. We can no longer be mere spectators sitting on the sidelines instead of actively participating in the work of the Lord. If good wins, 
They join in the celebration even though we did nothing to produce the victory. However, if evil wins, then we'll complain long and loud even though our own apathy produced the undesirable result. So we have to be careful, my friends, that we're not like the one-talent men. We are five-talent men and women, and we are to give God back a good return on that investment in us. Because if we're not growing and do good works, when Jesus comes again, our excuses are not going to work. And he's going to tell us the same thing the master did to the one-talent man, you wicked and lazy servant. And if we don't want this to happen to us, then we have to strive to be profitable servants always. So as I said at the beginning, it is time that we engage our culture. It's time to become relevant to an unbelieving culture around us. It's time we become salt and light. It's time to stand up, to speak up. It's time to stand on the wall. It's time to use our talents. It's time to give God a good return on investment. It's time to watch for the roaring lions. It's time to protect what God has given. And it is our moment in time right now. Edmund Burke famously said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil or for Satan's agenda to be released and executed is for Christian men and women, pastors, preachers, and churches to do nothing and say nothing with their talents. So thanks for listening to the word. I hope that blesses you. So let's get into the weapon side of this. Just something as a Christian you can take in your daily walk here to have in your tool belt or in your toolbox. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the cost of something? There's a lot of different things that we pay for. We pay for food, we pay for housing, we pay for electricity. Everything has a cost associated. But what the cost I'm talking about right now, in the, in the times that we're currently living, we have to ask ourselves, what is the cost of what we want to do and where we want to go? If you're paying attention to the television and news outlets out there, you can see that major cities are being burned to the ground. There's rioting and looting in these peaceful protests that are happening almost daily. So we calculate. It's a calculus of risk that we have to have about ourselves. It's about doing the math when it's worthwhile to go somewhere, to leave your house, to leave your secured space, to do something. Those calculations are choices such as do I bring a weapon or a firearm for self-defense or not? Within ourselves, friends, we have to conduct a risk assessment of the location and venue we want to go to while we factor in also the capability and ability we will take with us. Now, I'll give you some locations, venues, and events will require higher capabilities and abilities. You are the only one who can put a number or a weight on them. You take the frequency of occurrence, the thing that could possibly happen to you using all available data in your geographic area and the place that you want to go, plus the impact of occurrence if it were to happen, and that will equal your risk. I'll say that one more time. The frequency of occurrence, could it happen in the area that you're going to? How often does it happen based on historical data? Plus the impact of occurrence, if it were to happen, if something bad were to happen, that equals your risk. One of the greatest factors we sometimes fail, though, to accurately measure is ourselves. Now, I know I'm saying something now. I know I'm preaching. I got my own amens if I need them. That was a big gut punch of reality right there, I'm sure. But sadly, it's true. No one knows you better than you. It does take brutal honesty to measure ourselves, especially when we're trying to measure how effective we are or maybe aren't with any particular self-defense strategy or tool. You are the only one who can be certain that you not only have the skills, but that you have the determination, fortitude, grit, 
and ability to employ them effectively, judiciously, and accurately if they should become necessary. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I have to take a really deep look and make sure I'm not overestimating myself, or could I even possibly be underestimating myself, and that maybe prevents me from going somewhere. This is where true, ultimate humility has to factor in. One of the ways we can do this is through training with good instructors who are able to constructively challenge your assumptions. This puts up a mirror like no other in front of you to find out if you can truly be responsive in a crisis. As does spending some time really thinking through what worst case scenarios look like and confronting all the fears you might have about what you can and will do. You can practice the standards every day and have a pretty good idea of whether you have the raw ability to access and employ your firearm, use a less lethal option like pepper spray or baton, defend yourself with fists, drive aggressively to get out of danger, and more. You can test yourself to see if you can do these things under stress. You can get the help in deciding how effective those skills and tools are for different situations. But in the end, my friends, you are the ultimate agent in charge of your own protection detail. You're the one who has to decide if you can actually make those things actionable if the time comes. Nobody else can do that for you. Nobody else can take that accurate measurement. More importantly, nobody knows better than you how important it is for you to go to a place or do a thing. The value you place on your life, employment, on your leisure activities, on that trip you want to take, that's all on you. Your job may be in a terrible, unsafe location, but if it's your dream job working for a dream employer, you're going to go. Or maybe you have the opportunity to go on a trip of a lifetime to see uh, a whole bucket list of destinations you've always wanted to see, but they're all in places where you can't bring anything that might even be close to a weapon. Do you still go? You should always strive to measure yourself and your destinations. Prioritize yourself and your safety. Prioritize the safety and security of those that you are traveling with. We have to be absolutely intentional in our everyday safety and security because at least one person depends on it. And that's you, my friends. Be well, be safe, be blessed. Thanks for listening to Word and a Weapon. 